We are delighted that you've joined us for an hour of inspirational music on Songs of Praise.
Cheer up, ye pilgrims, be joyful and sing. Jesus is coming again. Hilltops proclaim it, ye plains. Jesus is coming again. Coming in glory, the Lamb that was slain. Jesus is coming again. Coming in and coming again. Jesus is coming again. Tell the vast wandering throng, Jesus is coming again. Tempests and whirlwinds, the anthem prolong, Jesus is coming again. Coming again. Trust you are getting to know our Saviour Jesus Christ better as Songs of Praise continues.
There were famines and earthquakes With trouble all around The heavens did shake No peace could be found There were wars and strife on every hand It seemed God had lost with no hope for man Where is your God? The demons cry He's left you of a man's hand. It is the cloud which surrounds the Savior and which seems in the distance to be shrouded in darkness. The people of God know this to be the sign of the Son of Man. In solemn silence, they gaze upon it as it draws nearer the earth, becoming lighter and more glorious until it is a great white cloud, its base a glory like consuming fire, and above it the rainbow of the covenant. Jesus rides forth as a mighty conqueror, not now a man of sorrows to drink the bitter cup of shame and woe. He comes victor in heaven and earth to judge the living and the dead. With anthems of celestial melody, the holy angels, a vast, unnumbered throng, attend him on his way. The firmament seems filled with radiant forms, 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. No human pen can portray the scene. No mortal mind is adequate to conceive its splendor. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. As the living cloud comes still nearer, every eye beholds the Prince of Life. No crown of thorns now mars that sacred head, but a diadem of glory rests on his holy brow. His countenance outshines the brightness of the noonday sun, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then just in time, the Savior came, 
time ago, there lived a man. He and his son had a white stallion. The horse was a beauty, the talk of the town. They wanted to buy, but the man turned them down. One day the horse ran away to the woods. The people said you should have sold when you could. The man was as peaceful as peaceful could be. He said, "You have spoken. Now listen to me. All things are working together for good for those who love God, and I do. I won't tell God what He shouldn't or should. I don't have His point of view. I trust what He's going to do." One day the stallion returned with a bride, and with them came ten wild horses beside. The people cried, "This is a very good day." The man replied, "Good or bad, he couldn't say." His son started breaking a roan that was red. She bucked and he broke his legs instead. The people said, "We are so sorry, my friend." He said, "Won't you listen?" I trust what he's going to do. An enemy king sent his soldiers to town to take all the young men to war. When they saw the boy with his two broken legs, they scoffed and kept marching right past his door. Lesson I hope that you take from this verse. God's greatest blessings may seem bad at first. He knows the purpose for which we are called. Be glad that the Father's in charge of it all. All things are working together for good for those who love God. Oh, it's true. We're not to tell God what He shouldn't or should. We don't have His point of view. All things are working together for good for those who love God. Yes, it's true. We're not to tell God what He shouldn't or should. We don't have His point of view. Trust what He's going to do. Savior, you are my faithful. 
All the earth will worship you and will sing to you. They will sing to your name. Psalm 66, 4.
slip not by the way Tender feet need direction As they grow trust and obey And as parents help us guide them on the path The narrow way Oh Lord bless little children As they grow from day to day Thank you. 
the sound of his voice Seas that are shaken and stirred Will be calmed and broken from my regard
This is Songs of Praise, music to help you appreciate our Saviour, Jesus Christ.
there That no earthly friends can share Tears drive away the smile and leaves My heart in pain Then the Lord from heaven above Speaks to me in tones of love Wipes the tears away and makes me smile again I need no mansions here below For Jesus said that I could go To a home beyond the clouds Not made with hands Won't you come and go along We will sing the sweetest songs Ever played upon the harps In glory land When Jesus comes to claim his own I will move to my new home I'll walk and talk with him upon the streets of gold A mansion there is waiting me Soon his beauty I will see In that city where we never shall grow Oh 
Songs of Praise is a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. Join us next time for more inspirational music. Today, in 3ABN Australia Radio's book reading, we are continuing Banish the Night by the late missionary pilot and pastor Len Barnard, read by Clive Nash. The book is set in Papua New Guinea and is broadcast with the kind permission of Pacific Press and is available in print and digital editions online. Chapter 19. The Accident The chief surgeon's face was grim as he examined my lacerated leg. Nurses standing by drew sharp breaths, and three assisting doctors looked at each other and slowly shook their heads. Undoubtedly, the leg must be amputated. In this desperate situation, I had prayed aloud, O Lord, thank you for saving my life. Now give me words to persuade the doctors not to amputate. You can heal my leg. I know you can. Now, still conscious despite the rising flood of pain, I looked into the set faces of the medical staff. They could see the pleading in my eyes. Please save my leg, I implored. I am a Christian missionary, pilot of the plane. God will heal my leg if you apply your skill. Many people will be praying for me. Please, my voice trailed off. What more could I say? I saw by the doctor's hasty consultations and guarded expressions that they held little hope of being able to accede to my request. The damage was too extensive. There is no chance, a spokesman said. I looked at my wife's distressed face. A needle was inserted into a vein, and I floated off into painless oblivion. Only thirty minutes earlier, I had walked across the runway to the mission aircraft as it stood on the wide Mount Hagen airstrip. It was a beautiful morning, and life was good. Light mists were dissipating from the purple velvet of New Guinea's central mountain ranges, and the mile-high Wagi Valley was a fertile patchwork of coffee and tea plantations and tiny gardens. This was the time to fly, before the mighty tropical storms built up on the 15,000-foot ranges and drifted across the valley. Today, I would escape the tedium of office work flying for God. I intended to visit several mission stations, transferring national workers, taking missionaries to remote airstrips for patrols, and transporting students to their home districts after the college year. It would take perhaps two days, and I was ready.
After warming up the engine for a minute or so, I opened up the throttle and taxied across the runway to the spot where my passengers and cargo were waiting. For my first flight, there were a national teacher and his wife for Kainantu, two friends for Garoka, and another for Madang on the coast. Shutting down the engine by pulling the lean mixture control out, I waited till the engine stopped and then turned the ignition key off. Climbing out, I filed my flight plan with the airport control tower. At the front of the plane, I began a further routine inspection before flying. I tested the propeller spinner for looseness and checked the edge of the 88-inch blades for bad nicks and cracks. To test for compression, I reached high and grasped the tip of the propeller with my right hand and pulled down. There was good compression in that cylinder, but there are six cylinders, so I raised my right hand again and unconsciously my left leg. Then suddenly, by a remote chance, the engine fired and the propeller spun. Mercifully, the following second was a blank. The next thing I remember was finding myself lying on the runway ten feet from the plane, my left leg almost severed above the knee. Although I had been hurled ten feet, my injured leg lay in front of me as though carefully placed there by unseen hands. Then things moved rapidly. I grabbed the gory stump to arrest the bleeding. My distracted wife rushed over to me. Help, help, she shouted, as she too held the stump tightly. One of the passengers ran over to the control tower and another to the terminal and raised the alarm. The airpost ambulance raced across and its crew fastened a tourniquet around my leg. Then followed the seven bumpy miles to town and the hospital. As the fight for my leg began, I could not keep quiet. I knew the bone was severely shattered and the flesh cut so deeply that only a flap of skin and muscle connected the lower leg. Since there was no blood bank in this remote part of New Guinea, a nurse at the hospital nobly gave hers. Before leaving the operating room, my wife asked, Isn't there something you can do to save the leg? No, I'm afraid not, replied the doctor. During the operation, one of the doctors went out to the waiting room and said to my wife, I'm so sorry, we have to amputate the leg. A friend phoned the hospital and my wife answered to his query. Yes, they have amputated it. But the struggle was not over. More and more knees were bent as the news spread. All pleaded with God to overrule. The skillful surgeon, who had been a heart surgeon in Europe, was steadily working, assessing the damage, struggling against the obvious decision to amputate, wanting to save the leg. I am sure angels hovered in the operating room also. As soon as our division office in Sydney received the news, President L. C. Naden called the brethren together for special prayer. Throughout the churches in the homeland, and from mountain to mountain and valley to valley in New Guinea, the news spread, and our believers earnestly implored the Lord on my behalf. For my wife, time dragged on slowly as she kept silent vigil outside the operating room. She picked up one of my shoes. I must not forget the other one, she thought. Then the stunning truth struck. He will need only one shoe in the future. One hour, two hours, and more. Then there was a stir at the operating room door. I was wheeled out. To my wife's joyous amazement, my leg had not been amputated. We will try it for three days, said the surgeon. If it becomes gangrenous, we can remove it at leisure. 
Shortly after being placed in the ward, I regained consciousness. My mind was clear, and instantly my thought was, what have they done to my leg? I raised my right foot beneath the sheet to feel if the other foot was there. Yes, I could feel it, warm and able to move. Joy of joy. Now God will be able to heal it, I thought, and I did not doubt that he would. As I lay in bed, I pondered, why did the engine fire if the ignition key was turned off? This was undoubtedly due to the fact that I had warmed the engine up and had run it across the runway, a process which heated carbon in one or more cylinders. As the fuel and air mixture was drawn into the cylinder, this hot carbon had ignited it, causing the engine to fire. The fact that I had raised my left leg a little, only a split second before the propeller started turning, brought it within the orbit of the propeller tips. The first blade gashed into my leg just above the kneecap, not too deeply, but its pitch pulled the leg farther into the orbit. The second blade closer and then cut seriously into the limb six inches higher. This accident could not have happened at a more inconvenient time. When three of the six Australian missionaries from my corner of the field and the other mission pilot were home on furlough. I was carrying on as before while helping the many hundreds of nationals preparing for baptism. But how different the outcome of the accident would have been if it had occurred at an airstrip where no appropriate medical aid was available. I regularly fly into extremely remote areas and spend several days there fostering mission interests. In some of these valleys, there is no one capable of operating a radio to call emergency help. Thus, with no immediate aid available, the accident would most certainly have proved fatal. The high degree of efficiency of the Departments of Civil Aviation and the public health during this emergency was highly commendable. Within three minutes, the airport ambulance had rushed to my rescue. Fifteen minutes later found me on the operating table under the expert care of four doctors and six nurses whose efficiency left nothing to be desired, having even immediate anaesthesia ready for injection. For such a service in a primitive land like New Guinea, I am extremely grateful. Above all, I praise the Lord for his deliverance and the saving of my leg. Many years ago, I placed at the back of my Bible some thoughtful words by John Ruskin, thinking that some day I might need them. How true they are, and what a comfort they have been to me. There is no music in a rest, but there is the making of music in it. In our whole life, melody, the music is broken off here and there by rests, and we foolishly think we have come to the end of the tune. God sends a time of forced leisure, sickness, disappointed plans, frustrated efforts, and makes a sudden pause in the choral hymn of our lives. Not without design does God write the music of our lives, but be it ours to learn the time and not be dismayed at the rests. If we look up, God himself will beat the time for us. With the eye on him, we shall strike the next note full and clear. Chapter 20 Men to Match My Mountains Tell me, Doctor, why weren't the sciatic nerve and femoral artery severed by the propeller on the fateful morning of the accident? Having returned to New Guinea, I had been anxious to meet again and put this question to Dr. Pavel Kolish, the talented surgeon specialist who had sewed my almost severed leg together after its encounter with the aircraft propeller. 
As I had amputated more than one leg myself during my army and post-war medical career, I knew that since the slash was cut more deeply into the leg than the level of these major vessels, they should have been severed. I was intrigued. Well, the doctor thoughtfully replied, the bone was not cut but shattered, and the four-inch chip shown in the X-ray film must have been pushed downward so that it protected the important nerve, and although the artery was badly lacerated, the chip saved it from being completely severed. How astonishing, I exclaimed, and a simple explanation that seems perfectly reasonable. But within me welled up a deeper feeling of wonder and gratitude. After flying into the Mount Hagen airport for the first time following my recuperation, I was walking to the control tower to submit a flight plan when I was accosted by a company pilot. His parents had been nearby and were early on the scene to see the gash after the accident. He had arrived shortly afterward. Did you fly here yourself, he asked with obvious incredulity. I certainly did. Well, he exclaimed, now I believe in God. You are one person I thought would never fly again. Late one afternoon when I was winging my way homeward between storm clouds over the Wabag Valley, the radio came to life. Sierra Delta Alpha, this is Mike Foxtrot, India. See you on 118.1 kilocycles. I switched on the VHF radio. Is that you, Lynn? A friendly voice it queried. Yes, it surely is, and it's grand to be back flying again, I replied. Praise the Lord, said the Mission Aviation Fellowship pilot. Praise the Lord indeed, I said. First I returned to New Guinea for three months using a walking stick in case I stumbled. The orthopaedic surgeon, Mr Brian Hammond, under whose care I had been in Sydney, informed me that the bone was not very strong yet, but prudent use of the leg would help it. Having no problem whatsoever in flying, I was thus able to visit my national workers in the field to encourage and help them. Their solicitude for my recovery and the warmth of their welcome was a touching experience. I returned to Australia after this trial period, and the doctor assured me the bone was greatly strengthened. Thus, it was my pleasure to present him with my New Guinea carved walking stick, depicting a crocodile about to grab a dog. To be continued. Tune in again next week for the next episode of Banish the Night, written by Len Barnard and read by Clive Nash. Let's listen to William Ackland as he shares a psalm from his paraphrase of the Bible called The Gift. Psalm 42 is um, one of those few psalms that was written jointly by the sons of Korah and is for the choir director. Just as the deer longs for the clear flowing water, so my soul longs after you, O God. I am thirsting for the living God. So when may I appear before you? My tears have been my food and drink day and night, for people have said to me, Where is your God? I remember how things were as I pour out my sorrows to you. For I used to lead the assembly of your people when we went up in procession to the house of God. We went with joy and praise on our lips in a vast assembly as we kept a feast of the law. I ask myself, why am I so sad? 
And why are my spirits at such a low ebb? Put your hope in God, and I will praise him, for he is my strong helper. Oh my God, I am feeling very discouraged. Therefore I remember you from this land of the Jordan, from the heights of Mount Hermon, and from Mount Pizar. The deep responds to the deep in the noise of your waterfalls. Your waves and your breakers have washed over my head. But the Lord will show his divine love in the day, and in the night I shall sing a song to him, a prayer to the God who is my life. I will say to my God who is my rock, Why have you forgotten this son of yours? Why do you let me go grieving and mourning because of the cruelty of my enemies? My bones seem to be shattered as my enemies vilify me, as they taunt me by saying repeatedly, Where is your God? Oh, why am I so discouraged deep within my heart? And why is my spirit so disturbed? I will put my hope in God and will yet praise him, the one who is my salvation and my God.